Hi, I'm David Stoker, and I want to welcome you to the Better Life and Recovery hashtag Hope Dealer Movement podcast. As a visible and vocal member of the recovery community since 2009, I'm frequently asked questions and for advice from people all the time. Some are curious, some are still using, some are in recovery, and some people just care about somebody who's currently struggling with a hurt habit or hangout. If people in my community have those questions, I guarantee that people everywhere are looking for answers as well. We started this podcast to give you answers and support because not only is recovery real, it is amazing. Hope you enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome back to the Better Life and Recovery hashtag Hope Dealer Movement podcast. I'm David Stoker, and today I'm joined by Marlisha. Marlisha, do you want to introduce yourself? Hey, my name is Marlisha Jones. I've been in recovery for 11 years, and I'm just happy to be here today. So, I don't even know where to begin. I posted something, uh, I think yesterday actually, uh, on Facebook, just that, uh, you know, generally I only speak out whenever I am talking about things that relate to addiction and recovery. That's kind of my wheelhouse. Um, that's kind of where I, I learned, I was told a long time ago not to burn bridges unless it's about your passion. And unfortunately, I also believe that silence is acquiescence. What I mean by that is, you know, um, if you're silent when something horrific is going on, you may as well be responsible Mm -hmm. because you're not doing anything about it. That old saying, you're either part of the problem or part of the solution. You can't, you can't, there's no middle ground on some things. And unfortunately... I don't think we can be silent anymore because of everything that is going on in our country right now. Um, And I don't know. I'll read this really quick, just what I posted, and then we'll kind of talk from there. But I posted this. I said, I have not had a lot to say about everything that's been going on. I try to only comment about substance use and recovery because that's where my passion lies. Unfortunately, I can't be quiet any longer because I believe silence is acquiescence, and my silence will speak to my friends far louder than my words or actions ever could. I have a platform and people who read what I write, so I have a responsibility. It isn't people protesting or rioting I feel I must speak out against. When it comes to that, I find myself speechless because I've never faced the same racism and hate many other people have. I have no idea how I would react, given the same situations happening to those I relate most to, occurring over and over again with just a seldom if ever occurring. So I cannot remain silent when people who face institutional racism get harassed for driving or walking while black and are murdered at a disturbingly high rate while unarmed by those sworn to protect them. I cannot be silent any longer because there are people who shout things like, he should have just obeyed the law when something happens to people of color, yet dress up like G.I. Joe, rifle in hand to protest the stay-at-home order. Mm -hmm. Imagine if those armed, camouflage-wearing men had been black. They wouldn't have been allowed to go into a state capitol building armed. More than likely, they'd be dead. And we all know it, yet we stand back and say nothing. Can you not see both the double standard and the privilege in that scenario? I can't be silent because my brother, who's half black, has to live his life by different rules than I do to make it home safe simply because of the color of his skin. He has to act differently when he's at the park, walking down the street, or gets pulled over than I do. In fact, there are many scenarios we've seen play out in the media that show no matter how he acts, He dies in situations I'd walk away from unscathed. I cannot be silent because although I've had a lot of trauma and abuse in my life, next to none of it was systemic and institutional. The problems I've encountered were not because of the amount of melanin melanin in my skin. I've been poor, but not poor and black. I've been harassed by police, but it was because of the crimes I'd previously committed, not because of the color of my skin. I cannot be silent because I have people I'm friends with on Facebook who discount everything black people have to say about their experiences. How about instead of discounting what people say about their experiences, we give them the benefit of the doubt and listen. Someone else saying their life is hard doesn't discount the difficulties you face. It shouldn't threaten you. There's no reason to defend ourselves when black people share their anger, their frustration, and their fear. In fact, people of color shouldn't have to share all of their experiences with us. We should be able to see it for ourselves. What I find saddest is that I feel I can't be silent, but I have no idea what to say. Maybe that's a good time. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a time many of us should stop talking and just listen. Maybe it's time we stop defending injustices and show support and solidarity. 
Maybe it's time we stop seeing Black Lives Matter as someone saying other lives don't matter and realize they're saying Black Lives must matter just as much as other lives, and right now it appears that they don't. Maybe it's time we walk beside our brothers and sisters of color and support their voices. Maybe it's time we educate ourselves in the injustices other people have faced and stop expecting them to educate us, or even worse, discounting everything they say. Maybe it's time we say enough. This cannot continue to happen anymore. I've always heard if you're not part of the solution, then you're part of the problem. Too many of us are playing armchair quarterbacks, or even worse, maligning what others are doing to voice their frustration while we sit back in complete silence. I know that silence has to be deafening, and I can't be silent anymore. So that's was kind of my take yesterday as I sat there and tried to wrap my head around everything and realized that, that me not saying anything had to be louder than the hateful people out there. At least they're being honest and sharing how they feel. I may completely disagree with how some of these racist white people feel, but at least they're out there letting people know. Mm -hmm. And when I'm silent, how does that make me appear to my friends, to my own family, you know, Mm -hmm. that don't share the same shade of skin that I do? So, so I don't know. So, Marlisha, I kind of wanted to bring you on uh, because I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Um, I try to educate myself, and I will tell you now, I don't believe that it is right for anybody to tell somebody, hey, you need to educate me about the things you've been through because, I mean, it doesn't take more than a flip through a history book to realize that, that this has been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. Um, the policing problems we see have been going on for decades and decades and decades. And I don't think that, I don't know what it's going to take to make that change. You know, um, we, you know, I saw a meme and it said, you know, y'all are mad about us rioting but you were also mad at us whenever we knelt silently. Mm-hmm. I mean, how frustrating is it? It's really frustrating. It's like, for me, this, this is, this is, it's just a painful topic. It's just a painful, this to see what's going on and seeing all the hate. Yesterday, as I scrolled through my feed, I just, I just read so much hate. So many people don't understand. And the fact of the matter is, it's like, yeah, they're, they're mad when someone kneels, but do you understand that when the constitution was written, a black person was property that wasn't written for freedom. And then we had to fight to get, to even have the right to vote. It was over almost a hundred years later before a black man could vote. And still he wasn't even considered a full citizen, just like a fifth of a citizen. And then you go back and then you know, white women were able to vote in 1920, then black women, it was just, it's just been so much of a fight for everything just to prove that you are a person. I remember the first time that I was little and I was playing with a little girl and her mom came and took her away from me and said, you can't play with her. You know, and having those things happen. And even in my life, I've had a family member who was shot down by the police in his own house because they kicked in the wrong door. You know, it's like, and that was when I was like 10. You know, it's like, there's so much. And like, when I go into a store, I'm five foot nine. I'm a, I'm a five foot nine black woman. I'm going into the store. I have to make people feel better and make people feel comfortable with me just because I'm there. Let them know I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to do this. Or, or when people say things like, oh, you speak so well, like I'm supposed to speak differently. Like I'm supposed to act a certain way. I just, I'm so, I'm so tired of just I'm so tired of having you explain to my kids, you know, who are mixed. It's like I'm mixed. My grandfather is white. My 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 kids are mixed and having to talk to them about this, that people are going to see you a certain way and they don't understand. They don't understand why they can't do things like other people can or why they can't, you know, act a certain way at a school or they can't do these things. You know, and it, it, I shouldn't have to sit there and explain over and over and over and over again when one of these things happened, how someone got shot and like, why, why did they get shot? I remember having a conversation with my now seven year old 
She was so scared. She was in preschool and she came back. She said, Mommy, the cops are going to kill me. Because a little kid, I told her about a shooting that had happened. And she couldn't understand why he got shot. And they told him it's because he was black. And she said, well, they're going to shoot me because I'm black. And I spent the entire time like trying to explain to them. It's like, this is, this is a big thing that we have to realize is that not all people are the same way. And so I've spent my time explaining to my girls how they have to be careful. And these are the things they have to be careful with, but also trying to feed into them that not all people are the same. You know, and it's like from that time in preschool, I took her to Walmart and there's a cop at every Walmart and I would take her up to the cop and tell her to tell him, thank you for your service. I wanted to let her know that she could trust him, but in the back of my mind, I don't really know if she can. And that's what hurts so much is that my 17 year old, when she leaves the house, I, I'm afraid for her. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how people are going to treat her, even though she's so loving and so kind. I don't know if people are going to see that when they see her. And I shouldn't have to feel that way. I shouldn't have to feel like I have to prove that I am a person, that I have to prove that my kids, you know, I have to, I shouldn't have to prove all this stuff. I should be able to just go throughout life, but I can't. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. Like, oh, well, they want to march. They want to do this. Well, they're quietly protesting. They're not rioting and consider protesting and rioting are two different things. And, you know, and it's like people need to wrap their mind around that. They want to say, oh, you shouldn't block the street, but you don't care that someone was just killed, literally killed on the street because he was getting arrested for forgery. You can watch the entire video, not just the one where the guy was on his knee, but beforehand, he didn't do anything. But there's so much fear. There's so much fear. I've seen people, see, I have brothers. They're, they're big. They're like six foot. They walk into a room and people get scared automatically. I have an autistic brother and they still react to him the same way because they think all of a sudden there's a thug that walked in the room. Why? Not all black people are thugs. Not all black people are thieves. Not all black people are criminals. Just like not all cops are murderers. And what's been so hard during this time is reading all of this hate. Reading all of this hate, seeing all these things on social media where people are mean on people's throats and they're like, or t-shirts saying, I can breathe and all that other stuff is like, that is hateful and it's hurtful. Or like even here in Springfield where they were just doing a quiet protest and someone pulls up and their rebel flag just waving and macing people. And then they want to blame the protesters when it was that individual that came in and started macing people that were just standing there. You know, I'm just, I'm so sick of the way that media plays it. The media plays things so awful. And no one even takes the time to really figure out what's going on. And I, I've been trying, I've been praying and praying and praying and praying. I'm like, God, what do I do? Because I'm a loving person. I don't hate people. I don't. And I'm like, Lord, I can't allow what's going on right now to change who I am and who I am at my core. I understand the anger. I understand, you know, it's like people are outraged and you shouldn't have to go into an outrage for someone to be arrested for murder. It shouldn't happen. There's video. There's proof. It's right there. It's like, why... Wasn't it taken care of just right then? Just like the guy that was jogging. Why? That was February. They just arrested them. It's like you literally see murder and you discount it because someone says, well, you know, they're just a thug. Why? Why? Everybody's life matters and no one should have to march and tell you that their life matters. No one should have to do that. And that's why my heart hurts so much when people are like, well, you don't know the whole story. Well, it doesn't matter. Murder is murder. And you don't get to be the judge and jury right there on the pavement. I've seen so many things when people were mass shooting. They come in. They're unscathed. You didn't shoot them. They had a gun. 
You didn't shoot them. You brought them in to be prosecuted. Not, oh, well, they had a bad life and they had this, that, and the third. What about the individual that you just killed? Or that you went into the wrong house and you shot them dead? You know, like all this different stuff. When, when does it stop? When do you look at people and see a person and you get to know that person first instead of looking at them for what they look like on the outside? I, t I teach my kids, I said, you don't judge someone based off what anybody has said. You get to know them first. And that's the problem. There's so much fear and there's been so much division for centuries, since, since so far. From slavery to now. There's been some changes, but what, what are we really doing? The hate is still there. The fear, the fear is just there. People see a black person and they, they get scared. And the question is why? Why are you scared? That's an answer I don't have for you. You know, um, what I, to me, I, I, as a white person, I know there's a few things that I've had to learn. And some of it I had to learn the hard way. Like, I was an idiot, and the first time I heard Black Lives Matter, I was one of those same people that was like, well, all lives matter. And I had a friend sit there and explain, explain it to me this way. And they said, imagine you, me, and they pointed at a couple other people in the room. They said, imagine we all, all go out to eat. And imagine everybody there gets their food but you. And you look at the waiter and you go, hey, what about my food? And everybody else at the table goes, well, what about our food? He said, you'd look at him and go, well, you guys already have your food. So why should we talk about your food? We're going to talk about my food because I don't have it sitting in front of me right now. He said, that's what Black Lives Matter means. Mm -hmm. It says that why I'm going to talk about Black Lives Matter and you can't say, well, what about other lives? Because it does appear that other lives matter. Mm -hmm. You know, I will say probably not all lives. I, I think... Uh, Actually, I was reading a thing. Native Americans actually get killed at a greater rate than African Americans. But it goes Native American, African American, Latino. And here we're looking at rate. Because you'll get people that will argue, well, more white people die. Well, yeah, we're a much higher percent of the population. Mm -hmm. We're looking at percentage of population. And how about whenever somebody has a grievance, whenever somebody shares something that they're depressed about, that they're angry about, that they're trying to make a point about, you don't try to excuse it or... Uh, throw in another side comment because that's what I see happen all the time. Yeah. Well, they should have followed the law. Well, you know what? You're right. There are tons of people that have committed mass acts, these mass acts of shooting, and yet they get taken in alive. Mm -hmm. Why? Why do we not talk about that? You know, uh, in fact, I, I guess we kind of are starting to talk about that because it definitely is racial. I mean, when we have a little kid who's playing with a fake gun in a park, I mean, and we're, we're talking a young kid, and he shot within seconds of cops arriving on the scene. Yeah, without anybody doing anything. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. You, you know, and it almost brings me full circle back to addiction. Um, because of how we're treating addiction right now. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, when I started doing Narcan trainings, I remember doing trainings in St. Louis, Kansas City, and talking about now that we have people dying in here, and our people have been dying for decades from heroin, but nobody cared about it. Mm -hmm. You know what? It was always drug addict, drug addict, drug addict, drug addict, until we started having middle class white people Die. with pills. And now we're like, oh, well, you know what? They had a mental health problem, and that's why. Well, yeah. you don't think everybody has tons of trauma. I mean, in here, we're talking about people that have multi-generational, institutional, systemic trauma that has continued on their entire lives and for generations before them where it's what they're raised with and you don't think that that's impacted them, but we didn't care about it then, mm -hmm. right? Because we could blame it on the person then and not have a problem with it. Yeah. It's because empathy, it's like you don't have to go through it, but so many people are so set that if they don't deal with it, it doesn't matter. 
And that's the, that's what has to change. So you have to have empathy for a situation. Yeah, I might not know, you know, what it is to pop pills. I didn't pop pills. But I can have empathy for someone that has that and that's gone through that and has had that situation. It's just like, that's the thing. That's what's missing. It's like you don't have to go through something to care. And once that's the problem it's like well i don't have to deal with that so it must not matter because i it doesn't happen in my life you know and that's the thing but you know if somebody says gun control and they want to take away your rights as a gun with your gun then you're like oh you can't take away my rights because that applies to you you then you want to march then you want to say stuff then you want to protest then you want to be open about it it's like we have to stop thinking like that it's like like literally like for me it's like if i didn't have god i wouldn't even be able to deal with this like we're all one body and this is division it's like division at its best and that's what i hate like i hate seeing that i hate seeing division like we are supposed to come together we are one body all of us Every single one. I don't care if you're white, black, blue, purple. If you're a heroin addict, a meth addict, whatever. It doesn't matter. We're all one body. And we're supposed to look at each other and care for each other in that manner. But we ha- we don't. We look, at all- we look at all of our differences and we allow our differences to divide us instead of allowing it to bring us together like it's supposed to be. Like it's depicted in the Bible even. It says that we are all, you know, one body, multiple parts. Everyone. It doesn't depict, oh, there's a white body, there's a black body, there's this, that. No, it's one. It's one. And we're supposed to have empathy for each other. We're supposed to love one another. Love is at the basis of everything. And there's so much hate. And the only thing that can change that is loving your brother, no matter what they've been through, what their background is, what their situation is. You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what color. It doesn't matter if you're addicted, if you're out there doing that stuff. It doesn't matter. We're supposed to love one another because love is the only thing that is going to change this. But instead, hate perpetuates hate. And that's what you got in those riots. The riots is the fact, okay, we said this was a problem. You ignored it. This is a problem. You ignored it. Okay, then we're going to set everything on fire. Then maybe you'll get attention just like you do with a child. If you have a child that's misbehaving, they're misbehaving for a purpose. They want your attention. And that's exactly what's going on now. It's like, look at us. Look at me. And do I have your attention now? Or are you going to do something about it now? And it shouldn't come to the point where someone has to do that. You know, they talk about how Martin Luther King, when he marched and everything, he should have never had to do that. There shouldn't have been a reason to have to. You should be able to look and see that there is an issue and there is a problem. Okay, so how do we fix it? We love one another. Look at someone. Don't judge them. Don't say, oh, well, they don't know. Or think that every black person is from the hood. Or think that every black person plays basketball. Or every black person. Like all those things, all those stereotypes. You know, it's like we have to remove that. We have to be able to look at someone, get to know them. Don't make a judgment of them based off of anything. You can't look at someone and say, oh, well, you're black, so you do this. Or you're Chinese, or you do this. Or you're an addict, so you're this. And you can't do any of that stuff. Because it's not fair because you don't know. Because the only knowledge base that you have is is what you know. And so you're going and based off of your perspective, only what you see Instead of asking someone else, it's like, is this hard for you? What is, what's, what's been going on with you? We're checking in, you know, it's like, I don't know. It's like, it's got to change. It's got to change, period. Like the division that we have, period, for any reason, it's got to change. You know, uh, I'm one of the certified peer specialist trainers from Missouri. And one of the questions we teach people to ask is not, why did you do that? But what happened to you? Mm-hmm. And I think that that could definitely apply here as we're working with people also. But once again, it's not on you to tell me why you feel the way you feel. Imagine you're full of grief because you lost somebody you love and somebody keeps coming up to you going, well, why do you feel bad about that? Right? I mean, that's not fair. So I think oftentimes we go to people and before we educate ourselves, I mean, there's a great books out there. I think the first one that kind of pops into my head is uh, the new, uh, what is it called? The new Jim Crow laws. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's books out there that we can read, that we can educate, that we can kind of see some of the things that are perpetuated. Uh, maybe we need to sit down and have open, honest, frank conversations. Cause I, I will tell you these conversations, they can be uncomfortable and you know what? It's the uncomfortable conversations we need to have. Yeah. 
you know, we tend to shy away from things that are uncomfortable. It's why, you know, we don't talk to somebody after they lose a loved one. It's why we sit there and are able to marginalize people because if I can't see something from your viewpoint and I don't have that ability myself, my perception is my reality and I can easily marginalize you if I don't understand where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. So maybe we need to start being uncomfortable. Maybe we need to stand hand in hand. Maybe we even need to look at some of the things going on. I know with some of the riots, there's some really angry people out there. But also I've seen uh, our media kind of ignores some of the people, too. Mm -hmm. When you see, I saw this big article about, uh, you know, somebody charged with uh, attempted murder for throwing a Molotov cocktail in New York at an SUV. What I didn't know was that it, it was a white girl. When you Mm -hmm. see, you know, we have pictures all over the country of white people that are the ones starting fires. Yep. Um, We have, you know, uh, I remember I was watching, uh, it was, uh, it's uh, called Unicorn Riot. It's a nonprofit. And I was watching them at, uh, in Minneapolis, Mm -hmm. I think the second night that, first night, first or second night that it had kicked off. It's the night that like the auto zone got set on fire. And there was a guy that stand at the front and he's like, all you punks in the back, if you want to throw stuff at the cops, stand here at the front of the line and stop hiding behind everybody else. Yep. You know, I think that there's definitely some people that are inciting. There's some people that are using this just because they suck at life, um, that don't have a dog in the fight. And what they're doing is they're making it even harder for a lot of the people who are out there. You know what? I don't know how I'd react. I don't know if I'd burn down a police station. I don't know if I'd set fire to a cop car. I have no idea what I would do in this situation having stood out against it over and over and over and over again. I mean, look at St. Louis, what happened. Look at Baltimore, Mm -hmm. what happened with those riots. What happened after those riots? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing changed. So, I mean, what do you have to do to get that change? And I think you're right. It's going to take all of us realizing that we're all brothers and sisters. You know, I believe in a creator that made us all. Mm -hmm. If you don't believe in a creator that made us all, we are all here living on earth, Mm -hmm. you know, and we are all, we're all the same. I mean, if you cut us, we bleed. Our bodies are are, are nearly identical on the insides. You know, we are human beings. We are, you know, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't understand how somebody can look at somebody and because they have less money they do they than they do or because of the color of their skin write that person off as lesser than mm-hmm. you know but i also wasn't brought up that way either yeah you know so i i make attempts with my kids you know but there's other things people say that annoy the crap out of me uh i i I've had multiple friends that are like, well, I'm colorblind. I don't see color. Well, if you're colorblind, then you don't see that there's people who are treated worse because of the color of their skin. Mm -hmm. You're basically marginalizing every single thing that people of color have to say when you say you're colorblind. Yeah. Because you're saying, well, I'm colorblind, so the system must be too. I don't see people as different. Well, unfortunately, our system does. Yeah. You know, if you look at, I was looking at uh, some of the things uh, about like use of force um, where it talks about native Americans have the highest rate of fatal encounters with police followed by black people. Um, when we look at, you know, black drivers are pulled over at higher rates than white drivers. Uh, officers ticket search and arrest black and Latino drivers more often than white drivers. When searching black and Latino drivers, officers have less evidence than when searching white drivers and are less likely to find contraband because they don't look as hard. No, you know, um, I know that's one of the things I did back in the day is I ran drugs um, because I was a white kid and I was less likely to get pulled over than some of the other people that I was running with at the Mm -hmm. time. It was safer for me to run drugs. When I started running drugs, I used to have really long hair. I cut my hair and I I promised myself as long as I was in the drug game, I wasn't going to get visible tattoos Mm -hmm. because I saw that people with long hair and people with visible tattoos got harassed more by the police. Yep. I didn't have to change color of my skin to get harassed less by the police. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that's a time we live in now where simply the color of your skin gets you harassed. Yep. And it's sad. So so what can you do? Man, I, I know I was looking, uh, I read something that uh, our former President Obama had, had released and uh, they came up with a, a, a workbook, kind of a kit a toolkit called uh, New Era of Public Safety Advocacy Toolkit for Fair, Safe, and Effective Community Policing. Mm-hmm. 
you know, maybe we need to come together as communities and sit there and start talking to, and, and yes, federally, we need to go to, A, we need to go to, we need to vote. Yeah. You know, we need to find out who supports and who doesn't support policies that we stand behind, whether that is, you know, this is a recovery podcast. Mm-hmm. So whether that is people who support recovery and who support uh, trying to get people help who have substance use disorders mm-hmm. instead of imprisoning people who have substance use disorders. Mm-hmm. Uh, with this, of course, we'd want to look at people. I mean, how silent are people right now? You know, how silent are your politicians? Because I wouldn't vote for somebody that hasn't spoken out and said this Absolutely. is disturbing and it has to change. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing. It's like, and plus we have to get the understanding out there because a lot of people don't understand, you know, that there is a legislative, executive, and judicial branch of the government and that every election is something that you should be going to vote for. You know, that people that you see, like the president and the governors, they don't make the laws. And that's what a lot of people forget, that they don't make the laws. The laws are made in this, you know, in the House, in the Senate. And, the, and that's where the laws are made. That's where everything is perpetuated. And a lot of people have gotten a little insight with that, with what's going on with the stimulus payments and how it had to go through and it had how it works. And this is how it works. So these people that are seated in there, those are the people that you need to check and see where they stand for this. Because when it's time to come and elect them out of office, we need to do that. It's like there's there's got to be a change. Everybody has to be on one accord. And that's the problem. There's no unity. It's like if, if the community would come together in unity, we would be able to do so much. If we can look past, so, well, that doesn't that has has nothing to do with me. It does because if it affects the community, it affects you, and that's what people don't understand. It's like when we have all this discord and all this crime, and we have all this addiction going on, we have all these things flying around. It does it affects us all. That's why we need to come together and we need to put together a plan. We need to try to do something. Try. Not just discount it. Well, I'm not doing that. Well, well, that's what they get. Well, I'm going to run them over with a car if they protest. Like those kind of things. How is that helping anybody? That's just causing, that's just causing ripples. It's causing problems. You know, we just really need to come together and unify. And that's how we'll find a solution for this. That's how we'll find it. And I think it needs to be at a, a community in a state level. I mean, federal is great. You know what? Get U.S. senators, U.S. representatives, uh, the president, uh, the Justice Bureau, the Justice Department, all those different. But in all honesty, I have seen completely different responses from different police p- police stations, from different police mm-hmm. chiefs, because honestly, I think we can have the most impact and the most change when it comes to to local, to city, county, and state government, because those are the people, mm-hmm. you know, those are the people that are appointing police chiefs. Yeah. Those are the people who stand behind. Federal, honestly, doesn't have nearly as much impact or reach on, say, Springfield or, say, Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at Minneapolis, um, that's a city thing. Yeah. You need to look at the city. You need to look at the county. You need to look at the police station, the police chief. What's coming from above that's flowing down below? Uh, how many of these actually have community groups that get together where they actually sit down and talk to them? Yeah. You know, um, and get their feedback and, and listen. You know, uh, because right now there's a there's a huge lack of accountability. Mm-hmm. I think there's a huge lack of input from the community, and unfortunately, I grew up a poor kid. And I didn't believe that my voice would be heard. So I didn't use my voice Mm -hmm. back then. You know, it's funny. It took me going to prison and then college after prison to learn how to use my voice. But back then I I was like, well, I'm poor. Nobody's going to listen to me anyway. And I bet there's a lot of people of color that feel the exact same way. You know, because of the color of my skin, people will not listen to what I say. My legislator, my mayor, my chief of police. But the truth is... We have the power to vote them in and out of office. Yeah. You know, I I know I live in a county that unfortunately has a very high poverty rate. So if we were to get everybody together, Mm -hmm. it's going to make some monumental changes. Yeah. And like with the voting thing, it's a mindset because before so many years, it didn't matter. Your vote didn't matter. It didn't matter what you had to say. And so when you think about that, like we're products of our environment. So you've come up in an environment where your great, great grandpa went down to vote and then he dealt with all that other stuff. And then your grandmother, nobody cared about that. And then you go and then you have the mentality that no one cares. 
And then there's so many, like me, I didn't vote for the first time till a couple of years ago. I never voted because I didn't think it mattered. And I think that I didn't think that my vote would change anything. It didn't. And the first time I actually sat there and I got in that poll and I got to pick who I thought was good, it's like I felt good about it. And then as I watched people get elected in the office, some of the people that I chose did. You know, and then you think back, like, maybe that was the vote that got them in there. Maybe that was it. And so we have to. It's like we have to vote. If you don't vote, go out and vote. Don't automatically think because you're a felon you can't vote. Because so many people have that, that mentality, I'm a felon, I can't vote. Or it doesn't matter. No, it does matter. And make sure you read about the people that you're voting for. You know, get that, get that together because it is. Like, we have to. We have to let our voices be heard. And that's the first step toward it. You know, checking a box. You know, by yourself. You don't even have to go and speak out loud to anybody else. You just go check a box. It's one step forward. Yeah, I think we should definitely be aware of the policies of the people that we vote for. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, what that means for some of us is we may vote, you know, at the same time, there may be two people we vote for that are Republicans and one we vote for who's a Democrat. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't think you should be a straight ticket voter. No. Just because I don't think if you're a straight ticket voter, you're truly looking at at the policies and beliefs of the people that you're voting for. Absolutely. You know, um, you know, the whole what would Jesus do? I, I don't know if he'd vote for either party right now. <laughs> Honestly, you know, um, it's funny how far we've gotten away from loving our neighbor and caring about our neighbor. Yeah. You know, uh, you've got one side and there's reasons that of. Christians step forward and say, well, I'm not going to vote Democrat because X, Y, Z. Um, but I'm a Christian and there's reasons I'm not going to vote Republican because of X, Y, Z. Mm -hmm. You know, I look at that exact same thing. I never really get into who I vote for, who I support. Um, of course, I have board members that, you know, uh, it, it's pretty easy to see that, that I'm pretty open. I mean, I have board members that are Republicans that are, I don't even, I don't know. You know, uh, I don't even, Yeah. I feel like saying, man, we should just edit that part out because I don't even know what I was going to say there. But honestly, uh, I think it's important for us to know the policies and beliefs of everybody that we vote for. Mm -hmm. And I think too often we vote for people. We're not voting for somebody. We're voting against somebody. Mm -hmm. It's not, I want that person in office, but it's, oh my God, I don't want that person in office. Mm -hmm. And it sucks. Maybe we need more people to step up and run for office. Yeah. You know, because I, I will tell you now, uh, there's the last election, I looked at the who was running for president. And I'm like, I can't vote for either of these people. Yep. I did not feel comfortable supporting either of them. And I'm sorry if that hacks people off that are huge Hillary or uh, Donald Trump supporters. But honestly, the lesser of two evils yeah, that's is still evil. That's what it was. And I can't vote. I can't cast a vote for something that, that I don't feel would have the best interests of the people I care about. Yeah. You know, and I looked at both of them and I didn't feel either of them would have the best interests. So it's important to know. And sometimes, I mean, how often do you look at an election and you go, really, are these the best choices we have in our entire mm -hmm. state, our entire community? I look at that sometimes with uh, state reps and I'll be like, out of the thousands of people that live in this, re in, in yep. this district, this is all that's we have. the best yeah. we have. You know, so by, by all means, if you want to see change, I mean, maybe step up and run for office or at least know what they stand for. And if you believe in what they stand for, do more than just cast a vote. I mean, join their coalitions, go to their rallies, volunteer your time with them, you know, find out what you're passionate about and put your time in there. Put your uh, put your time where your mouth is. That's right. I'm tired of keyboard warriors yeah. that sit there and want to shout all these things they believe in and then nobody shows up at the polls. Exactly. Or nobody has anything to say. Or if you would catch them on the street, they wouldn't say that. You know, and that's what it comes down to. It's like, that's the only way. It's like, we need to have we need to have more people that actually run for office. That's something that you can do. It's like, I was talking with... A, a pastor friend of mine, an apostle friend of mine, and like he literally listed that. How do we change this? Run for office. Get in there. Do something positive. Writing is not the way to go. I don't care who gets mad about that, but writing is a crime. Like if you go in, you're setting something on fire. That's a crime. It is. And I know that you're angry, but take that anger and use it for something positive. You can fuel that. Say, okay, well, I'm going to do this. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to get in here. I'm going to change things. I'm going to change this legislation. I'm going to go and fight for the for the things that I believe in. 
That's the kind of thing that you should be doing instead of going and burning down a building that you're ultimately going to go to jail for. What are you going to change in jail? What are you going to change? You'll just be another person locked up. You know, it's like, I, I, we have to think about this differently. It's like, I know it's like the first response that I have for something, I usually have to sit down and say, okay, Marlisha, you know, good and well, that's wrong. Because the first response we have is like with anger, you want to go hurry up and do something and destroy something. You want somebody to feel the same way that you feel, but you can't, you can't get someone to feel the same way that you feel. Just like you can't, and no matter how much you argue and fight with someone or try to explain it away, you can't change someone's mindset. They have to choose to change. You know, it's like I can yell at somebody, I can yell at this wall until I'm blue in the face. It's never going to say anything back to me. You know, it's like, take this anger. I'm, you got anger, you should. It's righteous. But it says in the Bible, it's like, in your anger, don't sin. It does. And it's like, you're going to be held accountable to that. And, it, and it's just, it's just the truth. And you take that anger and use it for something positive. Take that anger and change something, change something, anything, you know, it's like we're, we have, our kids are looking at us. Our kids are watching the news, all this fear that's perpetuating through all this. Like we already have the, you know, the national guards already down here in Springfield and there's not anything even violent. You know, the national guard is marching through Minneapolis and telling people to stay in their homes. It's like fear perpetuates. Well, and shooting at people on porches. Yes. And their own porches telling them to get in the house. I have, I have two cousins that live out there and they can't even go to the store. You know, it's like. It's nuts. It's like, why? Why are such drastic measures being taken when the people that are on their porch, the people that are sitting there, most likely had nothing to do with burning anything down? So, yeah, I don't even know how to sum all that up. So, take an active interest in... I guess be political. You know, I mean, we're going to have to figure out how to change it. And I think one of the ways we change it is who we vote into office. Uh, get more involved in local government. You know, uh, like I said, figure out if there is like a community impact panel or if there is a group that helps advise your local, whether it's city, county or state police department mm -hmm. and make sure that it is uh, representative because a lot of times, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I go to recovery things and up on the dais, everybody looks exactly like me. You know, um, we are not getting the voice of a huge group of people that's out there. Yeah. And so we need to make sure that if there are those panels that they're representative of the people in that community, mm -hmm. right? Uh, if I wanna know why somebody that lives in a certain neighborhood is so upset, maybe I should bring in people from that neighborhood. In Athens. You know, yeah. um, maybe we should have more police that are from those communities. I think I saw something saying, you know, like three quarters of the police station lives outside of the district that they represent. Yes. So it's hard for me to have, uh, to really know what's going on in, my, in, in a community if I'm not in that community. Mm -hmm. And just policing does not give you an idea, especially the way we do it now, which is more of what they call like a broken window policy and not a true uh, community policing effort. Mm -hmm. So figure out, I mean, if somebody kills somebody on camera, they're arrested like that. They're held accountable like that. Um, maybe we need to make sure that people are held accountable for the things that they're doing. Because mm -hmm. right now I think there's a lack of accountability that makes a lot of police officers feel like they can get away with anything. Yeah. There Are there good cops out there? Yeah, I have some friends that are police officers, but at the same time, when you stand by silently when things like this mm -hmm. happen, how good of a guy are you? Yeah. If you're not speaking out against this, yeah. how good of a person are you when you can watch this happen over, 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 over again, and yet you remain silent because you're towing that line? Yeah. And that right there, that that's something right there because there's been a lot... I've watched over social media. There's been a lot of police that have stepped up and said, if this, if you don't see a problem with this, then you can hand in your badge now. Or people that come out, they're like, this is messed up. Like even with the Springfield Police Department, when they released that statement, they're like, this is not right. You know, you have to stand up for what you believe in. And it's like, and when people continually just want to turn a blind eye to it, turn a blind eye to it. And that's why like with the other cops that were there that day with George Floyd, like they sat there, they knew it was wrong. And they did nothing to stop it. And then those, that makes you 
liable for what happened. And that it's like you say that it's okay if you could stand there and watch it happen and not do anything. And that's what continually happens over and over and over. You have to make a stand. People are like, well, I don't want to speak about it. Well, you, it's something that has to be spoken about. You have to say, okay, was it right? No, it wasn't right. It's not okay. Yeah, my, uh, my grandparents immigrated to America from Germany through Ellis Island uh, on one side, my dad's side. And uh, they came during the war. My name was originally Stecker. It got Americanized as Stoker. But, but I bring that up to bring up, I mean, look at Nazi Germany. We had an entire country of people mm-hmm. who didn't speak up. And look at the atrocities that yeah. happened over there. Yeah. I mean, we have atrocities that are happening here. Not to that extent. I, do, I would never want to demean or marginalize um, what the gypsies and the Jews went through over there just because of their beliefs or where they were born. But I mean, we have a lot of things that are happening here to people because of where they were born, because of the color of their skin. And if we're silent, it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. No. You know, and if you're, if you're afraid to step up and say something's wrong when you see something's wrong, what kind of person are you? Exactly. You know, you're part of that problem. You might as well have been on that neck Mm-hmm. with that officer Absolutely. you know or one of the cops that were behind on top of the guy holding them down yeah you know i mean honestly all three you know there was four officers there mm-hmm. and you know i heard somebody say well there was the good cop the the oriental guy who was up front well if he wasn't doing anything to stop what was going on he's then good. he's a bad guy too yeah you know and unfortunately I, I think because we see this happen over and over again that there's such a lack of trust mm-hmm. in our government in our police officers mm-hmm. like you said why should i matter anyway is it really going to matter how many people feel that way yeah you know how many people if they have a problem they're like i'd rather take care of it myself because i don't know if i'm going to die if i call the cops on somebody else because they see me first and they look at the color of my skin yeah, it's like I had a situation that just happened a couple of days ago at Hongan Inn in the drive-thru. Like, we have long lines because of, they're not open on the inside. Me and my three girls were in the car. We were having a sushi night. So we have sushi. We're going to get crab. We're going to go to their sushi because we're having a small night at home. And we're all excited. And then this lady, she comes barreling in. She curb checks, drives over the curb, hits the side of my car, and then parks in front of me. And... Then she just acted like nothing happened. And I just had my daughter roll down the window. I said, excuse me, ma'am, you hit my car. And she goes, no, I didn't. And she was so crazy about it. And I was like, no, you hit my car. She's like, no, I didn't. I said, okay, so I'm going to take your I'm gonna take your plate number and I'm going to file a report about it. And then she just got angry. She got up. She was probably about five foot two, you know, redhead, you know, white woman. She got out. She was just yelling and went to my car and was looking at it. And then she threw her insurance fa- card in my daughter's face. And I was angry, I was upset, but I did not get out of the car. I didn't get out of the car. And my daughters, my seven-year-olds were like, Mom, why didn't you get out of the car? I was like, I took a picture of her thing, I asked her for her phone number so I can send her a copy of my insurance, but I stayed in the car. Because I know if I would've got out of the car, with her as angry as she was, as me being you know, almost a foot, six inches taller than her, you know, and she was probably weighed about a hundred pounds. I'm closer to 200 pounds. And I am like so much bigger than her that I would have been looked at as an aggressor. So I wasn't going to do that. So she flipped out, called the police and said, Oh, well she tried to hit me or she yelled at me or she came at me. Those are the different things that I have to set back and think about. And I had to, on a daily basis, just like that, you know, that's, and it's crazy. Like those kind of things happen and they shouldn't, you know, I just shouldn't. I shouldn't have to think, oh, well, if the police get involved, am I going to end up getting arrested? Am I going to have that interaction with the police, with my kids? And it wouldn't matter. Are you going to end up getting shot? Yeah. You know, I mean, not even arrested, but honestly, if if she's sitting there screaming and ranting at you and the cops pull up, she's probably going to get it treated differently. differently than if it was you screaming at her. Yeah. And it sucks. It sucks that, it sucks that I can say that that's a... A huge probability in this country when in all honesty I, it should never be about the the color of a person's skin it should be about intent you know and unfortunately there's so much 
And, and I think it's been perpetuated over and over again. I look at, you know, even the media back in the 60s that ran with the huge bylines of the angry black man. I think mm-hmm. the media back in the day was very responsible for getting that started. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of people that are intimidated and scared of people based on their the color of their skin, yeah. based on the amount of tattoos they have, whatever it is. Oh, yeah. You know, and therefore we have people treated differently. The, the trouble with that is... You know, even though I don't think somebody with a bunch of tattoos should get treated differently, they chose to get those tattoos. Mm-hmm. You can't choose the color of your skin. I think both, whether you're tattooed, non-tattooed, black, white, you should be treated equally. But that tattoo is a conscious decision. Mm-hmm. Being black is not a conscious decision. That's something you were born into. And it's a shame that something that you were born into causes people to treat you differently. It, it, it breaks my heart. And I don't know what to say or do. You know, I, I don't think there's anything I can say or do that makes it any better, but I've reached a point, and man, if you're listening to this, I really hope that you've reached a point where you realize that you can't be silent about this any longer, mm-hmm. um, even if it's not affecting you. You know, what's there's that old poem, I don't know, I'll even look it up, where it talks about they came for this person and, and I didn't do anything because it didn't affect me. Mm-hmm. And then they came for this group of people and I didn't do anything because it didn't affect me. But by the time they come for you, there's going to be nobody there because everybody else is going to be gone. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just a summation of that. But the truth is, I mean, when are we going to stand up? When are we going to say enough is enough? When are we going to say, you know what? It's not my right to tell other people how to how to grieve, mm-hmm. how to display their anger. Does it bother you? Yes, it, it, it bothers me that somebody is, you know, I saw like this... Uh, this lady talking about the market in her neighborhood. The only market in her neighborhood was destroyed. And she's like, I don't know where I'm going to get my food now. Does that bother me? Absolutely. Absolutely that bothers me. But you know what? It bothers me even more that we have people being murdered in broad daylight and nothing's done about it. They, somebody can murder somebody in broad daylight and walk away from it. And go home. And go home and sleep. Or even even better, get told, you know what? You need to take a month off and we're going to pay you to stay at home. Yeah. Paid leave, right? That's what administrative paid leave is. I'm sorry, if my my job told me we're going to give you four weeks off and we're going to pay you for it, that's not a punishment. No. Oh my God, that's a gift. You know, so literally even a lot of times when people are punished, what happens? You know, that was another thing I saw, and this is going way long, I'm sure. uh, But I saw this thing that said in, uh, it was talking about Philadelphia. It's in my notes, but uh, they're talking about Cases have been reported. Uh, Philadelphia Police Department sustained 138 of 8,555 misconduct complaints. So what that means is that they found that 138 of those mis- misconduct complaints they could verify had happened. Mm-hmm. And that there wasn't a single officer that was penalized for those that they verified happened. Mm-hmm. So even when they, when it's found out that you're doing something wrong, you're still not punished for that. Yeah, you know, And until that kind of thing changes we're going to have to be loud and we're going to have to stand arm in arm with people that don't look like us. And that's fine because I believe someday I'm going to go to heaven and I won't be around all kinds of people that don't look like me. Mm -hmm. I'm glad people don't look like me because we have enough short, fat, bald, white people in this (laughs) world. Right? So we need to stand beside whether it, you know, husband, father, mother, Son, daughter, white, black, red, brown. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. This impacts everybody. That's right. You know, and when people of the human race are being killed like they're nothing, man, I can't be silent. You know, um, this is, yeah, I don't know. So show them at the polls. Uh, Like I said, start holding our police departments accountable and talking to the people who hold Mm -hmm. them accountable. You know, uh, let's see if we can have more people that are interested in in helping people, right? Instead of locking people up, throwing them in jail, how about if we have police departments that actually uh, emphasize problem solving and prevention and those types of things instead of just being punitive and criminalizing people? Yeah. You know, I committed crimes when I was 17 that I ended up going to prison for when I was 20 that I'm 48. There's still countries I can never visit because of things I did when I was 17 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, 
if I would have had somebody reach out to me, if I would have had mm-hmm. some help. You know, I talk about I didn't have a drug problem. I had a drug solution for all the trauma I went through. And there's a lot of other people like me. Yeah. That exact same thing. And yet we're sitting here criminalizing people. I mean, how many of those people that have been shot and killed? How many of those people? How many people do we have in prison right now that are there because of mental health issues? Yeah. That were never addressed. Yeah. You know, so we've got to figure out a way that we can support people and help people instead of putting people in prison, which is never going to make anybody better. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Prison does not churn out better people, especially mm-hmm. the way we do it here. No, it just makes people more hateful, you know, and that's the thing. It's like when you come from brokenness, like you come in a broken family, you never had anything. You know, your mom was a drug addict or your dad was a drug addict and you didn't have a you came from a broken home. There's so many things that lead up to you know people that are in crime or they they fall into addiction and stuff there's so many things that lead up to that like i tell people all the time you have to deal with the root you got to deal with the root where does it come from and so it's like if you go in and you just punish someone and you send them off to jail you never deal with the root so when they get back out they still deal with the same stuff they still have the same problems and they have a lot of anger and hate that go on top of it so it's like we have to get to the point where we're willing to say okay so you're behaving in this way let's see why you're behaving in this way and i'm, I'm not about coddling people because i hate that i hate calling somebody if you come from a hard background i'm not going to coddle you i'm not going to sit there and say hey it's going to be okay well we have to make an excuse no we have to deal with the problem that's at hand so we can stop it from going forward that even goes with addiction like if if a parent was addicted you need to deal with that child that child that was there you have to deal with them too it's like this is a whole we have to just we have to start communicating with each other and we have to start getting to know one another and we have to start empathizing and we have to be the people that we're supposed to be yeah it reminds me uh, i heard this story a long time ago man i wish i could remember it but it was about uh all these animals and they were trying to figure out why all these animals uh kept coming downstream dead and and they did all these different things and what they realized was if they went up to the top of this cliff all they had to do was put up a fence and it would have stopped the animals from falling off the cliff but Mm -hmm. instead they were looking at ground level looking at okay what are the solutions we have without looking at the real problems that were happening upstream Mm mm-hmm And the truth is, if we meet violence with violence, if we continue to take people who grow up in poverty and have mental health issues, trauma issues, substance use issues, and all we're doing is arresting and incarcerating people, we're never going to take care of that root problem. And we're just going to continue to keep this revolving door that already exists. So... So, I mean, even policing, I think, has to change. I think that, Mm -hmm. I mean, they've tried to make some changes with, like, uh, the CIT, the, you know, with CIT officers and some of those things and having officers go through, like, uh, mental health first aid training and those types of things. But I don't think it's enough officers. I've sat there and listened to officers who were going through these trainings laughing while they were going through it, going, well, I'm never going to use this in the field. Mm -hmm. You know, so we still have a lot of work to do. You know, it uh, it reminds me of the first time that I did a uh, Narcan training. I was doing it for one of the hospitals here locally for their security staff. And uh, a lot of the security that they had are off-duty police officers mm-hmm. that are getting additional income. And I heard one of the officers uh, joking uh, with the guy next to him. And he's like, so we can either use this or we can just let natural selection run its course. Yeah, that's the kind of mentality. That's and it, yeah, and I realize, I mean, unfortunately, sometimes that's what we deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there people that get into law enforcement because they truly want to help people and make things better? Yes. But there are also a lot of hateful bullies that get in yeah. there. Absolutely. You know, um, we're going to find that with just about everything. The difference is I can't defend when a group of people continues to do things over and over and over again. You know, I, I couldn't defend... Uh, couldn't defend grandparents whenever they were the people that were supposed to love and protect me and they were the people that beat me just like i can't protect people that are supposed to protect and serve and i don't think they're serving the community Mm -hmm. in a lot of cases i think there are good police departments out there Mm -hmm. but i think that there's also some really bad police departments that allow horrific things to happen Mm -hmm. and until there's change within those police departments you know you could look you could see uh I think it was one of the police chiefs I saw and they had a sign, one of the protesters did of all the people that have been killed and he read off each one of those names and he sat there and he knelt and he prayed with some of the people that were there. 
And then I see other ones that are randomly shooting bol- rubber bullets at people. at people, not knowing, you know, what they're there for. I mean, you're seeing reporters get hit. You're seeing all kinds of different oh, people yeah. get hit that aren't even involved in anything just for being there. Mm-hmm. You know, so if we're seeing different responses by different police forces, maybe it's time that we get all of our police forces trained better. Yeah. You know, um, it's a job. This is a job you're choosing. I don't know yeah. anybody that was ever made to be a police officer. You know, I had an issue uh, with that with some of the uh, the peers, people that were going into the peer thing. And they're like, well, it's not right that I should have to do this, this, and this. And I'm like, dude, you're choosing to become a peer. Yeah. There's tons of other jobs out there you could have. So if you're choosing to become a police officer, then maybe there's different trainings that we should have. Maybe, uh, maybe we need to get some of these chiefs out of the office Mm -hmm. that are uh, allowing this type of behavior to run rampant within their police department and get some new blood in there that maybe is going to have a a more empathetic viewpoint, be more compassionate, actually see a person as a person and not as an economic status or the color of their skin. Yeah. And deal with people that are in burnout. Like, you can go and you can see so much crime, so many things over the years that you become numb to it. And that's what happens to a lot of people. Deal with that person. Get them the mental health training they need. Get them the breaks, whatever they need. And then when you have people that are habitually having complaints about them, maybe check into that. Deal with it. Don't just say, oh, well, we checked it. Check their social media. See what they're into. Do it that way. Go in and see about this person. What do other people say about them? What if, what would someone say if they seen him walking down the street? Get a little more intel until you just allow someone such power. Because when someone gets on a police department, they have power. They have power and they know it. You know, you give them something. You say, hey, you're supposed to protect these people. You give them authority over people. You know, and that, and when you get to that, it's like if they're in the wrong mindset, if they're on burnout, they don't care about anybody, don't care what they're doing, everybody's going to be this way, they start with the mentality of like, oh, every black person's a thug, or every addict is this, and it doesn't matter, they're going to die, whatever, so we'll just let them do whatever, you, you have to deal with it. I think that, I think that a lot of this has just been let, it just been let go. Like, how did this man get to the point where he was kneeling on somebody's neck, and no one... Because if he was doing that and the, and the jokes that he was making, the things that he was saying over him, those, that came out naturally. It's something that he had been doing. People already knew this. People already knew that he was potentially could do something like that. And where are the other officers talking up like, hey, probably need to check on old boy because he's got some problems and we probably need to check on this. You know, where's the accountability? There isn't any. It should be an accountability for your community, not accountability. Oh, well, we're going to just make sure that you stay here and I'm going to protect you or whatever. No, you're supposed to protect the community, not what other people are doing. You know, I can't imagine how frustrating it is to constantly have to say the same thing over and over again and feel like it falls on completely deaf ears, you know. And like I said, for those who feel that this uh, isn't really about recovery, I expect people to stand beside me and advocate for people with substance use disorders. I expect people to stand beside me in in unity as we try to change laws and bills that exist that, that marginalize and demean people who have substance use disorders and mental health disorders. And how can I expect somebody to stand arm in arm with me if I'm not willing to stand arm in arm with them? At the end of the day, you know what? This isn't a, a white thing. It isn't a black thing. This is a human thing. Mm-hmm. And if you can't see that we have things that need to change in our country, um, I don't know what rock you've been living under. And I know some people, I've talked to some people that are like, well, I'm not really coming out because I don't want somebody to feel like they can't come to me about their substance use issues. I will tell you now, I'm not going to treat somebody differently because of how they feel. I don't care, you know, you can say a blue lives matter or black lives matter. And to tell you the truth, I'm still going to to meet that person where they're at mm-hmm. and, and do my best to support them so that, that they can make improvements in their life and live the best possible life that they can have. Mm-hmm. I just wish other people would look at everybody the same way, just like I do. Yeah. And they don't. And until they do, like I said, I, I don't think we can be silent anymore. I don't think that we can sit back and play armchair quarterback while other people are out there getting murdered in the streets. We just can't do it. If we expect other people to walk beside us, we have to be willing to walk beside them. Amen. So any closing, anything? I mean, 
Um, I hate that it's the year 2020 and that we have to have these conversations. Um, the truth is these conversations have been going on for a really, really long time. And it's not something that we've talked about in one of our podcasts. Uh, but man, I don't feel like we can ignore it anymore. Mm -hmm. I feel like we've had to. So I will just go back to what I said at the beginning, uh, get involved, uh, get political. You know, that's one thing that I never really encourage people, but to do is get political, you know, unless it comes to substance use issues, but you know what, get involved because the exact same people that are the exact same policies that are allowing for the act of abuse of people of color are the same administrations that are allowing for the abuse of people with substance use disorders and mental health disorders. And if it doesn't change for one of us, it won't change for any of us. Yeah. You know, we've got to step up. We have got to step up and say enough is enough. And, you know, what was that quote from that movie? I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. I mean, I'm frustrated and, and I'm a white person. I can't imagine what it's like because I don't have the same fears. You know, I know I'm scared to death for my baby brother, but that's one person. I can't imagine being scared to death for every single person in your family. You know, and it's got to end. And unless we come together, I don't think there's ever we're never going to make any meaningful difference. Yeah, we have to love one another. Remember when you're looking at that individual, that black man that's walking, that's somebody's that's somebody's son, that's someone's father, that's someone's friend. You know, that's the same thing. It's like you have to look at someone through the lens of love and let's lay down the hate. Can we just lay it down? Because it doesn't do anything. Love one another. Omar Lisha, thank you very much for joining me. And uh, I think the next time I have you on here, it will be to share your recovery story and we'll do a 10 questions episode. But, uh, but thanks for sitting down with me. I know it's not fair for me. To sit there and go, well, you know, as a person of color, would you join me? But honestly, I don't have the same experience you do. And I think that your experience spoke volumes. Thank you. Thank you. In closing, I just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Please join us every week for new episodes. If you want to connect with us further, if you have any questions, topics you'd like to hear in the future, or maybe would like to be on the podcast sometime, You can connect with us at betterlifeandrecovery.com. There's a Better Life and Recovery page on Facebook, or you can, uh, we're on Twitter, uh, B-L-I-R underscore N-P-O. Also, this podcast is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about the network at studiodna.media. Thanks a lot. Y'all have a great week. Hey, Studio DNA fans. I'm Chad, a new podcast host here on the network. I'd like to invite you to check out my new show called Hot Takeout, where I mix together some of my favorite things, fast food and musical artists. When you listen, you'll get that feeling you have when you get an onion ring in the bottom of your French fries. It's a win. We'll dig deep with the artists. We'll find out what inspires them and what foods they have to stay away from. And we're also playing fast food games, which will also make sense when you listen. So check out the Hot Takeout podcast streaming right now here on the Studio DNA podcast network.